In today's episode, we open our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5. In this last part of his first letter, Peter gives guidance to both church leaders and the broader Christian community. He calls for humility among leaders, emphasizing their role as shepherds who care for the flock entrusted to them by God. He also urges all believers to cast their anxieties upon God, recognizing His care and provision. Good morning and blessed Pentecost. Today is Tuesday, September 12th. You're listening to Thy Strong Word, where each weekday morning we explore the Holy Scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Many thanks to God for our sponsor, the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. You can learn more about them at lhfmissions.org. Well, joining me today to help us wrap up First Peter is the venerable Reverend John Legomsky, <laughs> pastor emeritus and co-host of Wrestling with the Basics here on KFUO Radio. Good morning, August Pastor. How are you, brother? So, so what what qualifies you as venerable and August? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I I just I you know, know I'm not really. I'm feeling kind of down today. I'm not really feeling well. So I just thought, you know what? I'm just going to build up Pastor Legomsky. That'll make me feel better. <laughs> but sorry, I always, I, I think you're venerable. I love having you on the show. So, <laughs> Well, you know what? You're, you're the first person, I think, that has ever called me that. <laughs> so so well, good enough, though. I'm sorry I mean you're not it feeling with good well. Intentions. Yeah, I, it's, you know, I've been under the weather for a couple of weeks now. In the past couple of days, it has gotten so bad. I hadn't even, I hadn't even gone to work today. I'm not, I have so many visits and people to visit, but I just I can't do it. I can't do it. So I can't sit here behind a microphone, even though I might talk a little slower and maybe hopefully you'll take up some of the slack and do some of the talking for me. <laughs> okay. I'll, oh, brother. I'll do my best, but well, we certainly do pray you get better because, you know, see, that's the thing when you're a pastor, it, it, it's not like the work stops. <laughs> They're not going to not have church this coming Sunday exactly. because you're not feeling great. Yeah, that's a, yeah, I get, a little well, different that's, job. That's, as you know, that's kind of the catch-22. You kind of get to make your own schedule for the most part, yep, but yep. you can't take a day off because, you know, you still have to get the tasks done, the work done. Oh, yeah. And not yeah. only that, I want to get the work done. I have a, I have a lot of folks out there under the weather themselves and and I just this is sort of my week this week and next week is when I usually like to visit folks. And yeah, so I want to get back to doing that. But hey, uh, how about you? How are things going for you, brother? Oh, things are going really well for us. We're still up in Minnesota with you. And, and, and as you well know, we're actually enjoying some really cool weather right now. In I Minnesota know what happened. That. It just in a day, <laughs> it went from 100 degrees to I don't even know what it is, but it's cold. I'm wearing my KFUO hoodie. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it, isn't it? it? Just a week ago, we were going out in shorts, and now you got to have a jacket on at least, and, and sometimes at night, maybe even more than that. Uh, so, but anyway, so we're, we're doing really well. Uh, I've been doing a lot of preaching uh, around, around the neighborhood. Uh, we got a lot of lot of uh, vacancies here uh, in, in my portion of Minnesota, and uh, I, I just was they did the announcement about this. Uh, what was it? Uh, uh, set apart to serve uh, before our show started. And I was thinking, boy, I hope people pay attention to that because we we need some pastors. And and like you said, that's what this chapter is about some it some is. exhortations to people who would be elders. Uh, but yeah. 
You know, and I think that a lot of retired pastors uh, feel this way, <laughs> but uh, I've been told that, you know, once you retire, you kind of get to do what you went into ministry to do in the first place, and that is to preach and teach and love the people, um, maybe without all the meetings and administration and stuff that sometimes comes along with the job. But with that said, past our retired pastors know more than anybody the need we have for uh, confident and um, and courageous men to be out there doing the work of the Lord, loving the people, and uh, frankly, resisting the culture that continues to encroach upon us and continues to put a lot of challenges on our people. And so, yes, if you are out there and you're thinking about any kind of church work, maybe it's not just a pastor, uh, maybe you want to do uh, teaching or perhaps a DCE, DCO, deaconess, uh, all kinds of things that you can do for the Lord. Now, of course, you also don't have to be a church worker to work for the Lord. All nope, that we do nope. is for the Lord. Um, but we certainly need church workers. And so I'm glad you brought that up. So, well, why so don't, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was just going to fill the dead air. I was thinking maybe we could go ahead and start moving toward. Uh, maybe we should. <laughs> moving toward our text. Uh, why don't uh, you go ahead and lead us in a prayer? And then we'll just hop right into chapter five of First Peter. So, so Lord, yeah, we got three specific things to pray. First of all, we we pray for 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 Pastor Boo's health, because uh, he 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 loves to be with people and he loves to preach the word, and it's really frustrating when our physical ailments kind of hold us back on that. So, so heal him, do that, take care of that right away. All right, Lord. Uh, and secondly, yeah, as we've said, man, the harvest is plentiful, and so you told us to pray to you. So that's what we're going to do. And if there's anyone out there listening that has any desire to serve in the church in any way, even if not as a full-time position, please, please move them because we, we need that. And then finally, oh Lord, oh man, with your spirit, open our hearts to hear this because this this is just a beautiful, beautiful word you've given us from a guy that you called to be your pastor, uh, to be your elder, uh, St. Peter. So let us hear the, the wonderful things that your spirit has inspired him to share with us and to receive those things with faith in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, well, so our last chapter ended with these words. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So he's made this appeal to the folks. He's been assuring them that in their persecutions and sufferings, they can connect that to the sufferings of Jesus, and it puts a new light on things. Uh, and in this next section, he turns his attention to the elders. Now, I think, especially in our, in our, in our Lutheran system, it might be a good idea for us to define some words here, and I'm sure you had that on your agenda, uh, presbyter, uh, presbyteros, and also uh, episkopos, those are the two main words often used for um, for pastors in the in the in the New Testament. And those roles, I think, by this time, were probably about the same. But still, there's a little bit of distinction. But the word presbyter here is elder, and I think we should probably talk about that because we typically call uh, those lay people, laymen, who have. Uh, been selected to assist the pastor in things that aren't specifically reserved for the pastoral office, we call those men elders. Uh, but that's not what's being talked about here. I'm just going to read the first verse. It says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. And it goes on. But let's just start with, uh, with elders. So that's... Uh, 
I don't know, brother. What should we call our elders? I, I've never thought that elders was a good term. <laughs> maybe, well, maybe they should I, just be deacons. Uh, yeah, I, you know what? Uh, of course, see, then we we think of deacons in terms of of, of another form of service uh, that does not in, involve itself so directly with with the pastoral ministry. Uh, you know, right. deacons are usually more like trustees, or that's how we think of them. Uh, you're, you're right, though. It did get confusing because we have these elders, and 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 what he's talking about here when I exhort the elders among you, he is talking about the 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 pastors, don't you think? He's talking like, well because he calls them. He calls them the shepherd of the flock, which is the the word pastor uh, coming out of the Latin. Um, and then you've also got the word about exercising oversight, uh, which is yet another word, as you said, that that's the bishop, that's the episcopacy. Um, so maybe it is confusing when we call our elders elders, because I don't know about your elders, but they never really functioned in any kind of pastoral ministry other than the fact that they were there to advise me. And but but they really were more trustees than than elders, per se. Uh, but then again, in other churches, I think the elders do participate. They make calls upon the members and things like that. How, how, do, how do they work it in, in your in your parish? Uh, Pastor well, Booth? we, uh, you know, it's interesting because when I came in, my elders are um, eager to learn ways that they can serve the people, but haven't always been given a lot of direction. Um, so let, yeah. I guess that's probably the best way to put it, uh, even by me, frankly. So, you know, I've been there about three years at my current location, and so I— I take that and I go, oh, yeah, maybe I've not even done a good enough job of guiding these men who are eager to serve. So, yes, we um, they are all the congregation is divided amongst the elders. They're sort of responsible for certain people. And when I say responsible, they help me in contacting them when maybe we don't see them for a while or they notify me that we haven't seen them in a while or um, just, you know, anything, visitations, anything that kind of, as I said, isn't explicitly reserved for the pastoral office. So. No preaching, no leading services, none of that. Um, they have led like a so-called lay service in cases of emergency when I couldn't get a pastor, but that's not that's absolutely the exception, not the rule. Um, so otherwise, they do a very good job of helping me understand the uh, how can we say this? The pulse of the congregation, right? They they'll let me know if there are grumblings and rumors. They and my elders do a great job of letting me know when when people are talking about the great things that are happening. So I could not be more pleased with my elders. But elders in general, um, yeah, I think it's a very important role. But I think we as a church body could probably do a little bit better job of defining it. Well, because it does get confusing, and, and, and like you said, particularly in our, our church body, no, we don't expect the elders to, to, to preach. We don't expect them—they they might lead an adult Bible study, but we don't expect them to do the Bible study that the pastor would be doing. I mean, there's a definite distinction between the role of the pastor and, and the role of the elders, and that varies from, from parish to parish, whereas obviously Peter here says, when I exhort elders among you as a fellow elder, no, he's, he's talking about the people that are going to be doing the preaching, the teaching, and, and administering the communion. Although, again, elders usually assist with that. But again, you wouldn't expect an elder to do that on his own. No, no, that right. that's uh, reserved for the chief elder, I guess. I don't know, the pastor. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're right. It's just the a terminology uh, uh, that we have confusion with. But obviously, they didn't have confusion with when, when Peter was writing to them. Well, other church bodies struggle with this too. For instance, Presbyterians, who are named oh, after yeah, this yeah. idea of presbyters, presbyteros, um, they uh, they call their ministers elders, <laughs> so they yeah. just use the English word elders. <laughs> uh, and then, of course, we have that general word minister. And so, you know, in the 
In the 70s, it was real popular for everyone to be a minister. Um, and I think in these days, we're going a little <laughs> bit away from that. Uh, but the idea there is that ministering as a verb is just to care for somebody. Yeah, but then, of yeah. course, the office of public ministry or holy ministry is a little bit different. Well, I tell you what, I'm going to read actually verses 1 through 5 now, and then we'll, we'll go through it. Um, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder, presbyteros, and witness of the sufferings of Christ— as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, here's what he has to say, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Uh, actually, I'm going to stop there with four. So okay. um, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. We definitely know that he's not just talking about the more seasoned men or even the community leaders. He's talking about something very specific because he says, shepherd, as you said, shepherd the flock of God. But I love how he describes how a pastor must do that. And I can tell you that in the... Um, you've got a little bit more experience than I have for sure, but in the almost 15 years of ministry that I've uh, been blessed to undergo, um, I, I can't, I can't imagine, um, continuing to minister now the way I did maybe my first year, right? <laughs> you you oh, yeah, learn yeah. and you, you learn and you grow so much. And, and it has a lot to do with some of the things that Peter's talking about right here, learning to, uh, do things, um, as being examples and, and servant leadership and all those kind of buzzwords we use, but it's important. Well, and I, I what I really like about this, this last chapter uh, is, is the fact that we're not just reading another chapter out of the Bible. You, 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 you just reflected on that. You know, you, you have a perspective from 15 in, years in the ministry when, when you've been in the ministry for 45 years, like me, it, it, it changes a little bit. It, it just, the church has changed from when I was ministering 45 years ago. Uh, but but what we have here is is Peter's perspective. As I read over this, I realized that this is not the way Paul probably would have said it. It's not the way John would have said it. Uh, you know, Paul was was the enemy of the church. And, and so he wrestles with the fact that people don't want to recognize his authority. And so he, he uses the other ministry term that we don't have here, which is the word apostle, Right. Right. Paul all the time is talking about himself as an apostle. Isn't it strange that Peter doesn't ever mention that as a term to apply to himself or, or to anyone else? Uh, John, of course, is is the good guy, right? He's the, the beloved one. He's the one that was faithful unto death. Uh, and yet, of course, John is the one who says, if you say you're without sin, <laughs> you're a liar. Paul, of right. course, says, well, I'm the worst of sinners. And, and I was thinking, I, I think what we have here reflects Peter, who, who everyone thought was a good guy. I mean, after all, Jesus gave him a special nickname, called him the rock. You know, Jesus specifically said, you've got the authority to say stuff on earth, to bind and loose, and it'll be true in heaven. Um, and yet Peter knows that he's the one that denied the Lord three times, even though he both said he wouldn't. And, and, and can't you kind of see that in, in these words here? Uh, the fact that he doesn't boast that he is an apostle. He's just yeah. an elder. He's a fellow elder. Um, I, I think it's neat that the word for witness here is not eyewitness. He, he will use that in the second 
book where he talks about, I actually saw these things with my own eyes. Uh, but the word here is, is martyr, which is uh, more witness in the sense of one who is called to testify, to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So he's not denying that he has authority, but he doesn't want to make his authority anything more important. And in fact, see that you're talking about the different titles here, because you've got you've got the word bishop, you've got the word presbyter, you've got the word uh, pastor through the term shepherd. Uh, uh, but it's like, Peter doesn't want to make any distinction between those offices. Those offices are all all doing the same thing, and they all have to do it the same way, you know, willingly, not under compulsion, not not for money, not for for uh, filthy lucre, as we used to say it, not not domineering, but being examples, uh, uh, and all for the same same reward, the unfading crown of glory that that we're going to receive, not not that we earned it or worked for it, but the the chief shepherd he's gonna he's gonna give us. Uh, but I, I think it's kind of cool because you can kind of sense, and we'll see this even more as we move into the business about humility in the next verse. This is this is Peter who once thought he was somebody really super and special, might maybe right. even be Pope someday. Uh, but now <laughs> Peter realizes, no, no, we don't need any popes. <laughs> okay, we do need people that are going to going to testify to the sufferings of Jesus Christ. Yeah, that we need people that be martyrs for that. Uh, but uh, we don't need people that are proud and powerful and domineering. No, that's not what the ministry is about. I think that's such an important point and really something that uh, your insights have kind of made me start thinking about because he mentions a lot of the—he mentions all of these roles, right? A witness yeah. of the sufferings of Christ is an apostle, uh, episcopus, which um, yeah. is the oversight, and, uh, of course, a presbyteros here, but he he's— He's basically taking those and saying, listen, I'm not even about these terms uh, or roles. It's really about imitating Christ in your, um, in your leadership. Now, Paul, he rightfully has to sort of defend himself. Now, this is something that I don't know that a lot of people recognize, or maybe they do. Maybe this is common in lots of different fields. But pastors really, um, it, we have such a hard time, how can I say it, promoting ourselves, <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. I feel yeah, even yeah. uncomfortable when someone includes me on the prayer list and I have to pray for myself up in front of everybody. <laughs> so, but at the same time, you have situations like Paul where, I mean, it's necessary for him to speak the truth. He had to say, I am an apostle. I am your overseer. I mean, those things are true, but it always puts pastors in an awkward position. Why? Which is why it's good to invite other pastors to your church every now and then and hope that they preach about the importance of ministry. But, but you know, we talk about things like don't do it under compulsion, do it willingly. Um, exercising oversight, that's the word I want to focus on for a moment, though, because even though Peter is certainly couching all of these roles and these leadership um, aspects in, in imitating Christ, I think one thing that a lot of people overlook is that the pastor is indeed— an episcopos, he does exercise oversight. I think the democratization of the church and even in our uh, congregational polity, which there's nothing wrong with, of course, but that's how, how we do things. I think that in some places, not every place, has removed from the pastor's responsibility oversight. You know, it's, it's either outsourced or people just don't heed what he has to say. Um, what do you have to say about that? What do you think? Well, well, it's interesting because because the root of the word oversight is, is, is see because again, in our culture, because because you're right. See, things have changed. There was a time when that's you expected. That was the pastor. He was the one in authority. Whatever he said went. 
But now, like you say, I think in our modern culture, well, we don't want anyone to tell us what to do. <laughs> it's not just pastors. We, we, we don't want policemen. We don't want presidents. We don't want, con you know, we, we want to do whatever we want to do. Uh, so it maybe reflects that kind of overall attitude. Uh, but, but, you know, the idea of, of uh, oversight really is that you take care of something. Uh, and that's right. as pastors, we have responsibility for this flock. We we are are the, the shepherd. Uh, and so, well, naturally, then, um, in fact, I love the word for shepherd here. And by the way, going back to why, why this would be Peter's words, it's the word that Jesus spoke to Peter. Did, did you know that when he said, tend my sheep? Mm -hmm. It's the same word that he's using here for, for shepherd, shepherd the flock. Uh, um Poimano, so, so by the way, is that Greek word for those of you who like that kind of stuff? Poimano. So, so you know, but but see, how can you do that if, if you don't have have authority and responsibility? If someone else is telling you, "Oh, you can't do that," or "Don't do this," now, now of course, see, it's the old "Don't go to the right or don't go to the left." I think that's in the Bible somewhere. Because then there's other pastors who think, well, I have the absolute authority here. Right. And if I want to have red carpet in the church, well, we'll have red carpet in the church. <laughs> uh, well, no, I'm sorry. There's nothing. I don't see Peter saying anything about you have authority over the color of the carpet or, or anything like that. But but if it comes to shepherding the flock, uh, and again, the word shepherd is just such a cool word because it literally means to feed the sheep. That, that's Well, that's mm -hmm. why he said to Peter, tend, tend my flock, feed my sheep, take them to the green pastures and the still waters. Well, yeah, that's that's our responsibility, and 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 we can't be second guess. Now, now on the other hand, I think you would agree with this too. If we're not teaching what the Word of God teaches, you know what what Walter wrote that book, the the, the sheep judge their shepherd. Yeah. So if we're, we're not teaching what Christ has given us to teach, yeah, then I guess the congregation does have a responsibility to say, "Hey, pastor, did we did we misunderstand you? What are you really saying here?" But outside of that, no, we we are. That's our responsibility. Okay. Well, and um, you brought yeah. up a couple times shepherding and oversight, and I think he means those in the same context too, because the word episcopeo here, which is the uh, exercising oversight, it, it means to um, to guard against, to consider something to guard yeah. against it. So you, no one would ever mistake a shepherd for a a ruler or a centurion or a prince, and yet they're episcopos. They have oversight, and what is their oversight intended to do? to protect their flock. So when a pastor exercises oversight, it's not so that he can have his preference for the color of the carpet, but it is to protect <laughs> the flock. Now, pushing the carpet thing just a little further, though, I yeah. mean, if they were to come in and say, hey, we want on our carpet um, this design, and it's going to have all of these sort of cartoon characters and space <laughs> figures, and it's going to have you know Rick and Morty and all the other then the pastor can exercise some oversight over the carpet now, right? You can say, okay... This is probably not the best solution, but it's for the protection of the flock, not for the building up of the pastor's, um, you know, uh, ego. And that brings us to where it says we're to be a pastor, not for shameful gain, but eagerly and not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples. So frankly, pastors, and I'm just going to put it in very plain terms. If you're a jerk to your people, then don't be crying that you're being persecuted for righteousness sake when they're jerks to you, right? The example you set, the example you set to them, um, then gives you that authority. Um, I, I, I do want to also focus on not for shameful game. And I'm just going to ask yes. a, a pretty yep. plain question. Pastor, can a pastor be rich? Can a pastor be wealthy? Is that a sin for a pastor to be wealthy? 
And I know wealth is relative, but you know what I mean. Well, and of course, you know, there, there are probably some some uh, trustees out there that would say, yeah, we don't want you to sin, Pastor. <laughs> so <laughs> we're not going to give you a raise because we don't want you to be doing it well, for shameful It's game. never been a temptation <laughs> in my life, I'll have to admit. But for, but I, I, you have this sort of idea of the, uh, I, I don't know if anybody's ever talked about this, but I, I have, and I, I call it the millionaire pastor, you know, conundrum. If yeah. you're a pastor who is independently wealthy. And I've known a couple, all right? They've either married into wealth or they just, you know, inherited it or they were second careers or whatever. So you have all the, really all the money you'll ever need. Um, should you take a salary? And one person might say, no, no, right? It's burdening the congregation. But it's like, well, no, wait a minute. It's also teaching the congregation. And by not taking a salary, you're kind of ruining things for the next guy. So you might donate it back or donate to other things, but you should still take a salary. So my point is, I do think that we should make a distinction between those who are doing the ministry for shameful gain, which I don't think in our context happens very much, but we see that like on TV and such. And just the sheer fact that one could might be wealthy. I, now, again, not me, but um, but still, I, I just wonder because there are even those out there who have the opinion that pastors shouldn't get paid at all. They should just do it for the love of the gospel. Well, well, I mean, the Bible really speaks to that clearly. The, the labor is worthy of his hire. Uh, uh, so, yes, pastors should be paid. Uh, and, 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 you know, we talked earlier about an appeal to, to people to become involved, become pastors, take that on as a full-time vocation. And, and trust me, no, you don't have to worry about the shameful gain because you won't get it in our synod anyway. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Not in our church body. Nobody's getting rich off of being the ministers. But see, on the other hand, the, the congregation should want to support them. The congregations, again, same thing here. Not out of compulsion, but, but willingly because, man, this is the guy. God put in your place to care for you, to preach the gospel to you, to remind you of God's love and his forgiveness. How could you not want to support that person to the very, very best of your ability? Uh, the problem here is just like you alluded to, the problem here is the people that are doing it for the money. And sad to say, there probably are in other locations people that are just doing it because, yeah, I, I remember the guy I saw on TV that was boasting about how he just bought a horse farm and he was so thankful for the people who had donated him so he could buy the horse farm. And they, yeah, probably, I don't know. <laughs> it's probably not the best. I get, I can't judge the man's right. heart, but it just seemed, didn't seem right. <laughs> well, then you have those uh, famous situations and I hate to call people out, but some of the, um, TV evangelist, I heard, heard of one who said that, uh, you know, it, he couldn't fly in coach. He has to fly in first class. <laughs> and uh, an appeal from one that says that he needs new uh, helicopter blades for his helicopter <laughs> because of all the campuses. And, uh, you know, and again, I'm not necessarily being judgmental. I don't know. But the, but the point is, as we interact with our people, I think that what's important isn't like necessarily the number in your bank account or even the type of car you drive, but who you are, how you deal with your people, how you're interacting with them. Because a pastor who drives around, say, in a actually, I know a pastor who drives around in a very solid BMW, nice car. Yeah. Well, to yeah. some people, that would be like extreme luxury. Uh, and to other, but his, but his wife is a physician. <laughs> so there you go. Sure. It's like, what do yeah. you, you know, it, it's like, it's not. It, it is a quality vehicle. So I, anyway, it's just sort of interesting, and I've heard that come up before. So anyway, I just figured I'd bring it up. But regardless, you don't do the ministry for shameful gain, right? So, And I think part of in that statement is that in order to do it for shameful gain, in order to basically become rich from the ministry, 
not just happen to be rich or marrying the money or whatever, but to become rich from ministry probably means you're doing something fairly shameful. Now, I'm not saying always, but yeah, it seems yeah. pretty likely. Well, you know, I just was looking at this verse, too, as we're talking here, Pastor Boo, and it's interesting that he attaches it to the phrase, but eagerly. So it almost becomes right. if you're doing it for the money, you, you really don't want to be in the ministry. You, you just <laughs> want the, the, the cash. And, and, and so we don't want to be doing it for what we're, you know, in fact, isn't that how we should be as Christians? I, I don't think people reflect on this, but we don't do good stuff because that's going to get us into heaven. <laughs> That would, wouldn't that be shameful gain then, wouldn't it? Right. That's the only reason we're doing good stuff, because someday we're going to get rewarded for that. No, we just do it eagerly because, let me tell you this, Pastor Boo, the, the only reason I'm a pastor is because I love doing what I'm doing right now with you. I just love telling people what we're going to hear in just a moment, that you can just cast your anxieties on Christ because God loves you. That's the only reason I'm doing it. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm glad I get paid for it. I, I, that that's a good thing because I can eat now and I can support my family, which are also good things to do. But but that's not why I'm doing it. I, I'm, and again, there, I'm sure there's you know there, there's a trustee. Well, then let's not pay. <laughs> but no, no, <laughs> right. no. That don't go there. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I, that that's the thing. We just do it because we we want to take people where they can eat and drink. This this beautiful. Free food. The food is free. No one has to pay for that. Mm -hmm. But but we certainly want to support the people who are giving us that free food. Why wouldn't we? If we really love our Lord Jesus, why wouldn't we want to support his under shepherds? You know, uh, to me, that would be the issue. If there was a congregation that said, well, we, we don't want to pay our pastor. I would say, well, what's 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 wrong with you? Where's your Christian love? What, why wouldn't a Christian want to do that for someone, you know? Oh, there's got to oh, be a exactly. problem there somewhere. Well, I tell you what, that concludes oh, the first three. Could, can I just can I just <laughs> well, real, real quick talk? Oh no, because it just occurred to me. Go ahead. Yeah. Because because what they would probably say is, well, we we don't really like our pastor. In fact, I know that goes on. That if you yeah. don't like him, well, then let's not pay him so much money. You know, uh, and that but, way he'll but, go away or something. Yeah, and and is that what Jesus said? Jesus, said, oh yeah, if you don't like a guy, then then be mean to him. I don't think so. <laughs> now I'm in the realm of the law, but I'm pretty sure Jesus says, even if, even if you got problems with a guy, well, first of all, you need to talk to him. You know, that's what you need to do, talk to him. But you don't punish him. No, no, that's not, that's, I, I'm thinking there probably needs to be some repentance on the part of, of uh, anybody that would be doing that. Again, the problem is, though, Pastor Booz, you know, who, who's going to call him to repentance? Because <laughs> the pastor, right. uh, you know, they'll just, well, anyway. They'll you, just ignore you know what I'm him. talking about. I do, situation. I do. Unfortunately, yeah. I know yeah. exactly what you're talking about. But you know yeah. what? We're up against a break. They're uh, hollering in my okay. ear, so we better take that break, uh, folks. <laughs> okay. When we come back, we'll we'll do the rest of the chapter. I promise. We've made it through three verses, but we'll keep on going. Uh, see you on the other side. It's be Pastor Lekomsky. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. 
but they need our help because Good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boom. With me today is the Reverend John Lakomsky. He's a pastor emeritus and co-host of the show Wrestling with the Basics, also on KFUO. Thanks for joining us this morning. If you have any questions or comments about the show, you can reach me at pastorboo at gmail.com or you can find me on Facebook. Okay, back to our text, because even though we only have a handful of verses, we have a lot to cover. Go ahead. I interrupted you for the break. Go ahead, brother. Oh, no, 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 because I just, I, I, I realize what the word venerable means. It, it means one who, one, one who doesn't know when to shut up. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I, no, I, I, what's going on in the break was right. See, I, I do this on, and, and we do this on Saturday mornings too. Sometimes I look at, oh my goodness, Matt, we, we're run over time. <laughs> so you're not oh, supposed to do well, that on radio. That's okay. Yeah. Um, the studio, they wrote me and said, it's time for a break. And I said, tell him. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, uh, anyway, brother. Well, you know, we um, we are we're talking about the shameful game. Don't do it for the money. Do it eagerly. Don't be domineering. Um, in verse four, though, you know, it really brings it home because yep. Jesus is coming back, and the job you're doing as a shepherd is in imitation of Christ, who is the chief shepherd. So he says in verse four again, when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise. You who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, be subject to the elders. Now, we run into this um, being a trigger word, so to speak, yeah, when we talk yeah. about wives, be in subjection to your husbands. Well, here is once again another Christian example of what it means to be both in subject to someone because of their vocation and because of their calling, but at the same time, it requires love and humility going in both directions. So being in subject to or um, having the responsibility over someone else does not give you the permission or, or, um, or call to lord over them, be domineering, be mean, or any of those things. So I, I think that this is something that we should focus on a little bit for just a moment because that's important. So, so I th I'm really glad you you brought up the examples you did because that helps really define what the whole word about being subject uh, implies. Because uh, it certainly implies something about those that are subject to someone. Uh, we should be obedient. We should be respectful. But it also says profound things about the one to whom we are subject. Because remember what Paul says. He says, yeah, wives, uh, be subject to your husband. Same word we have here. And then he turns around and says, and you know what, husbands? You ought to love your wives the way Christ loved the church and gave right. himself up for her. So, so it does really emphasize again, boy, if you're a pastor— you have really taken a tremendous responsibility upon yourself because you have a whole host of people that you are called to love and sacrifice for. Okay. And, and when you do the things that he says here, when you're not doing it for, for shameful gain, when you do it eagerly, when you don't do it out of compulsion, when you're not trying to be domineering, when you're trying to just set an example of love and compassion for your people, then 
why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't they want to be subject to that? Uh, uh, so that's the that's the key thing. Whenever you use the word subject, uh, it's because uh, you can't really tell someone to be subject to you. You you have to demonstrate why uh, by your love and your compassion. And you know that's what I, I learned in my ministry. I, I talk with a lot of young guys, and they're all they're complaining and whining about the problems that they're having and and not getting the respect that they deserve. And, and I, I don't know. I don't. I can't talk to people in individual situations. And I do know there's sinfulness that's at work in the hearts of of congregational members. I do know that. But my experience has been, all you got to do is just love people. All you got to do is just keep telling them about the fact that they're loved and that God forgives them. And all you got to do is be there for them when they have needs. And, and even if they're a little cranky at first, mm-hmm. once they realize, oh, this guy really does care for me. He's not here just for a shameful game, but he wants to be a person that I can call upon and rely on, then those problems seem like they go away. Uh, and again, I i don't know. See, I'm, I may be naive. That, that's what I'm saying, because I do know pastors who really, really do struggle with conflicts in their parish, and, and I don't want to be preaching law to them to say, well, it must be something you're doing wrong. Um, but, but I'm just reflecting on my own experience. When you care for people as a general rule, people will, in turn, care for you. Now, I do know, and you know too, Pastor Booth, there are people in your church that no matter how much you care for them, they're just going to be kind of cranky. That's just how they are. And then I guess you just realize, okay, I can love you when you're cranky. Right, right. <laughs> we, we do it with our wives all the time, don't we? <laughs> oh, they do it with us, I think I'll say oh, more oh, safely. Oh, believe it. That, that was a good statement. Were, right? Well, but I, I will say— Pastor Booth said there. Yep. <laughs> but I will say, I will say that— there is a difference between positional authority and what we call relationship authority, and this yeah. is something that can't go unnoticed in the pastoral realm. If you were to go back decades and decades and decades or even centuries, pastors, uh, bishops, everybody, all these people in these ranks, so to speak, of the church had positional authority. That means people were kind of obligated to respect them and did it just sort of as a part of their culture. And as unfortunately receiving a lot of positional authority, it tempts the sinful human heart to say, well, if I automatically get respected, then I can just use this respect or use their goodwill toward me any way I please. And there was a lot of oppression that come from it. And because of that, for right or for wrong, in these days, I believe pastors have only positional authority for the most part, meaning instead of, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, relationship authority. So positional authority would be if they show up and they have been given all the respect they deserve, yet it's theirs to lose, so they can still lose it. But relationship authority, which is I think what a lot of pastors are struggling with, means you show up to your congregation, and you kind of start pretty close to the bottom, and you have to earn through building relationships that authority. Now again, good or bad, I don't know. I think there should be probably a happy medium, but the point is People just deal with people in positions of authority differently in these last days. Whether And we, we hinted at that earlier, whether it's the pastor or the government or whatever, you kind of have to earn it for everybody. Now, that's not universal, uh, but I've served a couple different churches, and I can tell you at one church I had to sort of earn every bit of, of authority, and I've served at other churches where you know it was mine to lose. I think the point is that as long as, and it's the point you made, and I just want to reemphasize it, as long as pastors are out there imitating Christ, then you're doing your job. But don't forget that, of course, Christ was crucified by those who he came to save. (laughs) 
At the same time, he's done that already. You don't have to sacrifice yourself for the church. So there's this always this constant balance for the pastor, and this is what's so much um, it's so, such a struggle for pastors, especially new ones, but even even older ones or more experienced ones. And that is, how do I balance not being run over by people and exercising authority, and also being a servant, but also a leader? It's it's just it's not an easy job, folks. But don't let any of this discourage any of you guys who are thinking about it, because you know it's it's also the well, I'm biased, but one of the best vocations in the world to be able to work for God directly. Yeah, I can't. I I, I just really, really enjoy the ministry, and it brought a great deal of happiness. It, it, like you said, it's very, very difficult because you're you're with people when their time of trial, when they're they're, they're facing an illness, when they've lost a loved one. Uh, it is very draining in that respect. But again, I I don't know any other profession that has the rewards. Well. Certainly, the crown of glory that they can't beat that. Uh, uh, but uh, you're, you're right. When when I started the ministry, I, I would walk in a place with my collar, and it was like I was treated totally differently. You'd walk into the hospital, and oh, pastor, sure, here, go down here. And, you know, you had like a freedom of access and everything. And I would go into stores, and people would say, "Oh, here, pastor, let me give you this." Oh, no, no, you don't need to pay for it. Just, just. Uh, and you're right. That we don't have so much anymore. I had a guy cursing at me when I was going to the hospital because he thought I was a Roman Catholic priest. So, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, I thought, but, 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 see, you're absolutely right. What, what does Peter tell us here? Well, be humble. Okay, all right. Yeah. So, so God humbles us. That that's what I've learned. Is when I get cocky, then then the Lord lets things happen to me that reminds me that I I'm just a sinner like everybody else. No one should be praising me because of me. Uh, and, and then when you're 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 humble, um, then everything gets straightened out. And, and I appreciate what you said too, Pastor Boo. Whatever you do as a Christian, don't expect that the world's going to praise you for that. No, right. no. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. There will always be crosses. There will always be struggles and trials. The thing that we know, however, that the world doesn't understand is all that actually works out for your good. <laughs> Even though you don't like it at the time, like it says in Hebrews, nobody likes it when they're being humbled or disciplined. But in the end, it it really does. It, it, it ends up with this unfading crown of glory that was just given to us by our chief shepherd. So... Well, I'm not embarrassed to say that there have been plenty of times in my ministry where, you know, I'm looking at filling out Best Buy applications. You know, you're just oh, like, yeah. you know, sure, they just go to work. They do their eight, hit the gate, and they don't have to deal with this. And, and I, you know, I've been on the phone with my dad, who's been a constant source of support and who's now training to be a deacon in the uh, Southeastern District. But I, I've, I've looked into, um, you know, at different points in my ministry of maybe this isn't for me, but the Lord was always there. He brought me through it. And now I can look back on those situations and go, wow, I can learn a lot. I, you know, I can look at the places where I made mistakes and caused some of it. I can look at the places where, well, you know, this is something that I'm going to have to expect. And you just grow in time over it. Now, humility is so important because Christ, of course, humbled himself to become one of us. And then now he calls us to be humble. Peter says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Um, we see the same kind of thing in James. And then in verse 6, he continues, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. 
be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. And for all intents and purposes, that's the end of his letter. We have some greetings. But yeah, he so he ends his whole letter with, you know, God loves the humble. He gives grace to the humble, and he's going to, he's going to exalt you. But wait for him to do it. Don't do it yourselves, I suppose, is the same point. Which therein comes the conundrum for the pastor trying to uh, <laughs> trying to speak on his own behalf because it looks kind of less than humble, let's say. So so I think what's interesting, because you talked about we have to wait on the Lord to exalt us. All right. That that's something he does. That's something we can't do for ourselves. And, and I think it's uh, interesting, but it's the same thing with about being humble. Uh, humble yourselves, it says here. Actually, uh, that that reflexive pronoun there, yourselves, isn't in, isn't in the Greek, which is surprising because many other instances where the word humble is used is. Uh, uh, in fact, that passage in Matthew, I, I think again Jesus says about humbling yourself and there the yourself. Here, here's the point I'm making. What Peter actually literally says here is just be humbled, be humbled. It's it's in the passive. It's not something you do. It's something that's done to you. So so even as it is God who will exalt you, Peter says, it's also God who's going to humble you. <laughs> okay, so so the thing is, is you just need to be aware of that. Uh, and see, that's why I love this. This is coming from Peter because Peter knows exactly what he's talking about, doesn't he, Pastor Boo? Because Peter was the proud guy. Peter was the guy that said, "Yeah, I don't know about the rest of these people. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they'll 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 you know leave you, Jesus, but not me. You know." Uh, uh, and, and he understands. You want to be proud? If there's anybody out there right now that's proud, you you go right ahead and be proud. But just wait, because <laughs> trust me, I'll tell you this from my 40 some years of ministry. He he will humble you. He oh, will yeah. humble you. Uh, and that's a good thing, though. See, that's that's what's neat as what follows this, because you know what happens if he humbles you, then all this stuff about him caring for you, being under his mighty hand. Then you begin to see, oh, well, that's that's a good thing. That's a that's a blessing to be humbled. Uh, just real quick, Pastor Bruce. So so I uh, uh I, I've been preaching around and, you know, man, it's easy to get cocky when you're, you're just preaching every other Sunday because you have so much time to spend on your sermon and man, you can just really polish it up. It's not like you got to do it every week, you know? And so I'm preaching. I'm thinking, man, this is probably one of the best sermons I've ever preached. And this little old lady comes up to me after church and I'm thinking she's going to say, Oh, pastor, what a fine sermon. Cause that's <laughs> what little old ladies do. Don't they? And instead she says, she says, you know, you talk too fast. You talk too fast. I couldn't oh, understand no. what you were saying. You know, you need to slow down. People need to think about the words. <laughs> and there I was. I was humbled. Although I thought, man, just what Jesus said, right? Don't talk about people behind their back. Go and tell your brother face to face, him alone, if you're sinning. Um, so so to people out there, that's what I'm, what I'm saying. Trust me, the Lord will humble you. But that's only... So then you can do these beautiful things here about casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you to know that you're under the mighty hand of God. And it's a great mighty hand. It's not a hand of punishment. It's a hand of love and compassion and, and lifting up. Um, so that it's, it's not bad to be humbled. 
Uh, no one likes it again, but but it's good when you understand it comes from a, a God who loves us just like a father loves his son, right? Um, and then, of course, I, did you want to talk about this whole adversary, the devil prowling around? Because this this is what you really ought to be concerned about, yeah. uh, that, that the devil, he's at the heart of all this stuff. He's at the heart of this division between pastors and, and uh, churches and, and what have you. Yeah, so this is a very familiar verse. Most people have heard it, but probably don't necessarily know where it comes from. It comes from First Peter here. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. You know, I know that there is this, this saying, like, the devil made me do it out there. Yeah. And a lot of people like to give the devil all the credit <laughs> for their sinful actions. So I often will remind people, no, 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 even without the devil, we we, we have enough concupiscence <laughs> to keep ourselves in enough trouble. But it is absolutely true, though. That the devil, who is a finite being, folks, he's a, he can't be everywhere at once, but he's certainly accompanied by plenty of people, I'm sorry, plenty of demons, fallen angels with the same will. So essentially, the devil and his demons are delighting in the failures of Christians, encouraging us to doubt or be humble. I'm sorry, not to be humble, but to be proud, to resist being humble. He encourages us in our own sinfulness. Um, so both are true. Devil's rowling, uh, prowling around to take advantage of your own sinfulness. Uh, and I think, um, yeah, that's a, that's, it's a scary thing, but we have to remember that one little word can fell him, as Luther said, that Christ is victorious, but it's still a reality that we are on the ground, still in the battle, even if it's won. So, so the, the, the thing to note here is the words that are used to describe him are crucial. Uh, the word adversary actually means the accuser. It's a legal term. It, it's the plaintiff. Uh, uh, the word devil actually means a slanderer, one who says all kinds of evil, wicked things about you. And, and, and see, that's what you got. The devil really isn't so much concerned about you sinning. As you said, we, we're pretty good at that on our own. <laughs> you know, we don't right. need anyone to tempt us to do that. We just pretty do that naturally. But what the devil does is he then comes in in, in these sins and in, in our struggles and our crosses and says, see, you're wrong. Something's wrong with you. God doesn't love you. God is punishing you. And of course, we do enough wrong stuff to believe that business. OK, but that's why I, I love Peter's answer here, where Peter's answer is, well, just just resist him. You're not going to overcome him. All right. You can't overcome the devil, but you can resist him. And how you resist him? By being firm in your faith. I, I got a quote from Luther here, if I can find it. Uh, uh, okay, here it is. So when the devil throws your sins in your face and declares that you deserve death and hell, tell him this, I admit that I deserve death and hell. What of it? For I know one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf his name is Jesus Christ, Son of God, and where he is there, I shall be also. So we're all going to suffer a little bit, he says, okay? That's what's going to happen. Uh, and don't be surprised about that because you're living in a sinful world and you're a sinner. So why shouldn't you have some suffering? And, and your whole brotherhood has experienced suffering. Yeah. But, but here's the answer to that. Don't let the devil come and tell you that God doesn't love you and God doesn't care for you. Of course God loves you and cares for you. And he's going to give you the eternal glory of Christ. And don't you love those? He'll restore, confirm, strengthen, establish you. It's almost like Peter can't find out enough words to say, no matter what happens to us here in all of our crosses and trials, the one fact you know for sure is that you got God on your side. 
And how can you know that for sure? Because you've been so good? <laughs> no, because, <laughs> because Jesus Christ suffered and died and rose again for you. So I just love those words because I'm a man who has a lot of struggles. And I don't like the struggles. And I wonder right. sometimes, God, why are you doing this to me? I'm a pastor. <laughs> you know? And then I have to remember, okay, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm also a sinner like everybody else. I got to struggle with the same things everybody else struggles for. And here's the thing. I'm so happy to know that you still love me and you're still my father. And I have my brother, Jesus Christ, who's died for my sins. So, all right, I, I'll wait. I'll wait. Because that's what it says, isn't it? Uh, but but it'll happen. I know it'll happen. And I've seen it happen. Haven't you, Pastor Boo? You, you talked about times when you're wondering, maybe I should just go to another job. And yet it all works out, doesn't it? It, it all does. works out only to have another problem come up. <laughs> so. Well, and that's it. You And you grow, you grow in your ability to deal with the problems as you rely more and more on Christ. And I think yeah. that's where that's Absolutely. where I've found the keys. It's not yeah. necessarily even about trying to sin less. It's really just about relying on Christ more. And the result is, uh, of course, hopefully that things tend to go a little better, um, but they don't always. And, and of course, Christ doesn't promise things are going to go perfect because, as you've already said, we, we're always fighting against our own sinful self and the devil and the world. Um, anything else about this text before we wrap it up with the greetings here? Well, well, just, just, I just want to emphasize what you said, Pastor, because that's so true. Because, see, that's what the devil wants us to do. He wants us to think if we just try harder. But that just makes us proud. That's all that does. If that would succeed, we would just be proud about how we've overcome our sin. No, no, it, it's always going to be there. It's always going to trouble us. And, and you're right. There's only one solution, and that is the forgiveness we have in Jesus Christ. And w when you realize that, then it really it does it does get easier. I don't well. Maybe that's not the word, is it? It's always a struggle. There's always a difficulty, but there's there's a lightness in it at the same time, knowing that that we're still in the hands of the Lord who confirms, strengthens, and will establish and restores. And his dominion is forever and ever. Amen. So that, that'll never change. Amen. Well, brother, you know how it goes. I just got the yeah. two-minute warning. So <laughs> I'm gonna I'm okay. gonna read the text here. Uh he finishes his letter by saying. By Silvanus, which is Silas, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, which is Rome, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Brother, we don't really have any time to go into that. It's just going to have to stand on its own. But I'd like to thank you for being my guest this morning. Folks, it's been the Reverend John Lekomsky, Pastor Emeritus, and co-host of Wrestling with the Basics on KFU Radio. You can hear him and Matt Youngblood on uh, Saturdays. Um, brother, thanks for being on the show. Yeah, you're welcome. Blessings to you. I hope you get better. Oh, I will. I will. <laughs> no matter what happens, I'll wake up tomorrow. That's the good news. <laughs> All right. So, folks, tomorrow, if I should wake up and be with you, I, we will move into Peter's second letter with chapter one. In this one, Peter skips the usual expressions of thanksgiving that grace the beginning of the letter we just finished, and he goes right into the core issue. Maybe there was some urgency pressing upon him, compelling him to warn the recipients about the false teachers among them. Nevertheless, the apostle, even though he may not refer to himself that way very often, he begins this letter by providing comfort to the believers, assuring them of their divine calling and election, and emphasizing, as always, the unshakable certainty of God's prophetic word. We'll cover that tomorrow. So until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray, Father, keep us in thy strong word.